just give our great God a huge shout of praise. How amazing is that? It is amazing to be with you this evening. A special welcome to those watching online. We're so glad you could join with us. I'm about to show my true colors here, but do we have any Lord of the Rings fans? Yes, excellent. Love that energy, that's fantastic. Keep that for the mosh pit afterwards. Well, the other week, my husband and I were watching Fellowship of the Ring, and towards the end of the movie is one of the most gut-wrenching moments in cinematic history. The death of Gandalf the Grey by the Belrog in the mines of Moria. Their fearless leader and protector, Gandalf, is snatched from right in front of them. The fellowship is defeated. They're on their knees, distraught, desperate, lost, and hopeless after the death of their leader. And the movie ends and the fellowship, they're scattered. They're weak and they're hurting. And as a viewer, you're just sitting there thinking, what happens now? All hope seems lost. Well, on Friday, we just remembered the greatest cliffhanger in history. And I don't know about you, but every year I am humbled by Good Friday. And every year there is a solemn sadness, this weight of having just remembered Jesus being tortured and crucified. And we stand in this place of hopelessness where everything seems lost. Jesus has died. The women are at the feet of the cross mourning. The disciples are scattered in hiding for fear of persecution and darkness has covered the land. All hope seems lost. But on the third day, hope breaks through. And today is not a day of mourning, it is a day of celebration, of joy, of gratitude and worship for what Christ has done. He is risen. Would you bow with me as we prepare our hearts for God's word? Father, as we come to this passage tonight, we ask for your help. Bring this alive to us this evening. Help us to view it with fresh eyes that we may see the weight, the significance, your power and your glory, Lord. Help us to see your resurrection for the truth that it is this evening. Prepare our hearts to receive your word humbly. In your name we pray, amen. Before we read John chapter 20, I wanna take you back to this day thousands of years ago and help it come alive for you. It was actually Jewish custom for friends and family to mourn at a beloved's tomb for three days because they believed their loved one's spirit was still there. And the women had brought spices with them to anoint Jesus' body because they had not been able to when he died. Remember how quickly this all happened. On Thursday night, they were celebrating the Passover meal. Hours later, Jesus is arrested. He is sentenced and executed. And by Friday night, Jesus had died and was buried. Their whole lives were turned upside down in a matter of hours. And then the Jewish Sabbath the next day, the earliest opportunity to visit Christ's tomb was early on Sunday morning. Let's take a look. John chapter one, so chapter 20, verses one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. 
Mary's first thought at seeing the empty tomb is that grey robbers have stolen Jesus' body. Not something that was uncommon at the time. And I just want to take a moment to mention here that in Mark's translation of the gospel, it says she ran to the disciples who were in hiding. The disciples who had lived with Jesus for three years, heard all his teachings, knew him intimately and watched him die, thought his death was final. They had even given up hope and out of the fear of the Jewish leaders arresting them as they had Jesus, they hid, fearful and desperate. It continues on in verse three. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I wanna make something so clear here from the language that John uses in this passage. The grave clothes were lying there twirled together as if they were still covering Jesus' body. The head cloth undisturbed, the spices still inside the cloths as if his body had simply passed through them. In primary school, we had a bunch of silkworms that we absolutely loved. And as six and seven-year-olds, we'd watch these little worms wrap themselves in these silk cocoons. And then one day we got to the class and the cocoons were empty. These little deflated sacks of silk that hinted at a body once being there were now empty. The new life transformed. In the same way, Christ's grave clothes lay empty a sign that the body that was once there was gone and alive. What kind of power raises someone from the dead? What kind of power causes such a radical transformation that the followers proclaimed it as truth until their deaths? A transformation that a group of weak, miserable, defeated, despairing men and women hiding in fear turned them into bold, courageous, wise and powerful witnesses who suffered unimaginable pain for the sake of spreading the truth about Jesus. What causes 70 million people since Jesus' time to be martyred for their faith? What kind of power is this? It's love, love. The same power that led Jesus to lay down his life that allowed him to endure shame, whipping, torture, humiliation, and excruciating death, separation and from the Father, and finally raising him from the dead. That power is love. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. John Piper once said, the joy that was set before Jesus, that gave him the power to endure the greatest suffering in the service of the greatest love for the least deserving to be your joy for the same. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
the joy that was set before Jesus was you. You are his joy. Jesus looked at the cross and he saw you. He saw the joy of bringing you into glory, into relationship with him and the Father. For you, he endured the cross through the pain and suffering, the nails through his hands, the crushing of his lungs for the joy that you would be united with him to the Father. You see, our failures, our selfishness and our sin create a barrier between us and our loving God, our perfect God. Like oil and water, what is perfect and what is imperfect cannot mix. So the Lord of the universe, the creator God, humbled himself, stepped down to earth, suffered and was killed, conquered death, so that he could remove that barrier of sin and take it upon himself because he loves you. I once heard this story of a dream someone had. They said in the dream they were overlooking a crowd of people. As they neared the crowd, they saw Jesus in the sky on a cross. And he looked up and he said, Jesus, why? Why did you have to die? And then suddenly the perspective changed and he was on the cross. And to his left and to his right, every single person in that crowd was on their own cross crucified. In front of him stood Jesus, tears in his eyes. This is why, he said, this is why. The existence of Jesus is not disputed by historians. We have records of the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. We even have records of Jesus being crucified. But none of this means anything without the resurrection. The resurrection is everything. After Christ was crucified, there were no Christians. Not one, not a single one of his disciples believed he was still alive but the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he says he is, the incarnate God. By conquering death, we can be assured that Christ is God and his promises are true. Through the resurrection, we are confident. We no longer fear death. Christ's resurrection promises us a new life Victory over death. It promises us new resurrection bodies when Christ returns. It promises a renewed earth, a new heaven and earth, no more pain or suffering, every single tear wiped away. It is our assurance that there is no longer condemnation for any who are found in Christ. A number of weeks ago, I attended a conference with a dear friend, and because of the crowds, they had to do a bit of um, creative parking, let's call it. And the following day, I found a lovely little white slip in my windshield. Apparently, my creative driving was illegal. Oops. My first ever parking fine, that's all right. But when I went to pay my debt, I'd actually found that my amazing friend who'd come with me had already covered the cost. And instead, I received a receipt saying that the debt had been paid. Now, as annoying as the parking ticket was, I actually deserved it. I did the wrong thing. 
and I deserved the punishment, I deserved the debt. But out of my friend's grace, she paid for my debt. Christ's resurrection is the receipt of our forgiveness. The assurance that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us. No mere man can forgive the sins of the world. No mere man can pay the penalty for sin and conquer death. But Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man, took upon himself the sin of the world and he paid the penalty for our sin by dying in our place. By the blood we don't deserve and the gift we could not earn, we have been raised with Christ from death to new life. In his book, Unshakable Hope, Max Licardo says this. He says, the algebra of heaven reads something like this. Heaven is a perfect place for perfect people, which leaves us in a perfect mess. According to heaven's debt clock, we owe more than we could ever repay. Every day brings more sin, more debt, more questions like this one. Who will deliver me? The realization of our moral debt sends people into a frenzy of good works. Life becomes an unending quest to do enough, be better, accomplish more, a pursuit of piety. We attend church, tend to the sick, go on pilgrimages and go on fasts. Yet deep within is the gnawing fear. What if, having done all that, I have not done enough? Other people respond to the list, not with activity, but unbelief. They throw up their hands and walk away exasperated. No God would demand so much. He can't be pleased. He can't be satisfied. He must not exist. And if he does exist, he is not worth knowing. Two extremes, the legalist and the atheist. The worker desperate to impress God and the unbeliever convinced there is no God. Can you relate to either two? Do you know the weariness that comes from legalism? Do you know the loneliness that comes from atheism? What do we do? Are despair and disbelief our only options? But when Jesus rose from the dead, we who are in Christ are no longer condemned by sin, no longer separated from God or unable to enter his presence because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people through Christ's resurrection go to heaven. Max Licardo continues, and he speaks of the veil that was torn during Jesus' crucifixion. He says, the veil separated the people from the temple's most holy place and had done so for centuries. According to traditions, the veil, a hand width in thickness, was woven of 72 twisted plaits, each plait consisting of 24 threads. The veil was apparently six feet long and 30 feet wide. The fact that it was torn from top to bottom reveals the hands behind the deed were divine. God himself grasped the curtain and ripped it in two. No more, no more division, no more separation, no more sacrifices, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As in Romans 8 verse one, it says, therefore, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So on that day, when we stand before God, our sins counted against us, those who have accepted Christ's sacrifice and put their faith in him, the risen Jesus will stand beside you. And as your sin is listed, your errors, your shortcomings, Christ will stand beside you and say, I paid that. My death covered that. All those times you lied, I took that. That time you cheated your friends and family, my death covered that. When you hurt that person, I paid for that. Wow. I want you to just take a moment, if you want, close your eyes and just picture yourself before God. Jesus standing beside you, covered in the blood that should have been ours, holes in his hand, the gash in his side, the scars on his back where they whipped him. And everything you have ever done, everything you've ever thought of doing, everything you ever will do, washed away. And so instead, you stand before your loving God, presented radiant, holy, blameless, before a God who loves you. According to the algebra of heaven, none of us, not a single one of us can enter the presence of God, but in Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. To close tonight, I wanna go back to our passage in John chapter 20. The disciples having seen the empty tomb, the cloths laid bare, they go back to their place of hiding. But Mary stays at the tomb. John 20 verse 11 says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have laid him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. There's a few things I wanna highlight from this passage. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus, not because she's not particularly bright. In fact, the Gospels actually credit her with having one of the greatest understandings of Christ's teachings. But because her view of Jesus is too small, she is looking for a body. She's looking for a corpse, not a risen, resurrected and victorious saviour. And so she's blinded by her grief. She's blinded by the standards and limitations of the world. But then Jesus says her name. One word, one name that changes her life forever, that turns her mourning to joy, her tears to laughter, as she falls at the feet of her Saviour, clutching his robes. One day Mary is distraught at the foot of a cross. The next she is overjoyed at the feet of her risen Saviour. And we too share in Mary's celebration. Today, and in fact every day, we are invited to celebrate Christ's victory over death and his sacrifice for us. Are you like Mary? Is your view of God too small? Are you blinded by your own perspective that you cannot recognize the risen Saviour? I want you to know Jesus is calling your name too. He knows you by name. Maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's for the hundred and first time, but God is calling you by name to live in the truth of his love, to rejoice in his sacrifice that you may confidently enter the presence of God with the receipt of your forgiveness. Sin is no longer a barrier between you and God who loves you more than we could ever fathom. In fact, it was seven years ago at an Easter service that God called my name. A gentle whisper that prompted me to find out more. And very reluctantly, I went along to the Alpha course. But it was there that my heart was transformed. I was amazed by the love of the leaders there. I saw Jesus' love in their eyes. Hearing the truth and the word transformed me. Seven years ago, I asked questions and I witnessed firsthand the power of a loving, living God. Whether you were angry at God and blinded by your perspective of Him like I was, or confused and lost, or simply curious, I want to encourage you Ask questions. Go to the Alpha Course. Come along, it's on the 30th of April. Come and just seek and see what God has to reveal you. We have just witnessed tonight the incredible power of seeking answers in Katie's testimony. Her whole life has been transformed by the power of Jesus. And I can tell you that she is so overjoyed to have witnessed with you tonight, 
to publicly declare her faith and share with you all the hope and the new life that is found in Jesus. Katie said this in her testimony after encountering Jesus. I now see the beauty and value in living a life fully committed to God. It's not about following a set of rules or feeling a certain way when you learn more about God, but about surrendering your life to Him and trusting in Jesus as our Saviour. Through my newfound love in Christ, I want nothing more than to obey and worship our God. She goes on to say, having experienced life among both the Christian and non-Christian lifestyles, I can confidently assure you that the love of God surpasses all temporary pleasures of this world. What a powerful truth that Katie proclaimed tonight. If you hear God calling your name tonight, I want to invite you to respond. I want to lead you in a prayer this evening. Would you join with me as we bow our heads? If this is you, just pray this in your heart. God hears you. He is calling you by name. Dear God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I thank you for forgiving my sins. I give them to you. I give you my sin, my failures, my shortcomings, my selfishness, and I accept your gift of forgiveness. I promise to live for you forever. I thank you for loving me and for sending your son, Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for all who prayed that prayer this evening. Lord, you know them by name. You know them intimately and powerfully. And Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Reveal to them that you are the living God, resurrected, and that on offer you have new life, freedom, hope, and joy. And Father, I just want to pray for those who are not living in that at the moment. Maybe they know they are in Christ, but they are not living in the celebration and the joy that is found in you. Father, I pray that you would show them we don't need to earn our forgiveness. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people can access their heavenly Father. Lord, we worship you this evening. We thank you for the son, for the gift of your son, for the love that you have for us. Creator creator of the God of the universe, stepped down to earth, humbled himself as a man, bled and died for us, and rose again to be in relationship with us. Father, we pray that truth, that truth would come alive this evening. That truth would set people free from the shackles of trying to be perfect. We thank you that you are a good and gracious God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this evening or if you have questions, can I encourage you 
tell the person next to you, the person who you came with, make sure to tell them, don't leave tonight without sharing what you've done, sharing the prayer that you've prayed. If you've got questions too, please come and ask them, come and find out. You are so free to do that. But we are gonna keep worshiping this evening. We're gonna sing, we're gonna dance, I'm gonna see that mosh pit again. I'm so excited as we celebrate our God who conquered death. Why don't we stand and celebrate together? Awesome, come on down the front. We're gonna create a new mosh. Come on down the front. He's risen, we're gonna have a party. All right, here we go. We're gonna sing love. Here we go. Yeah.
You all ready for this next one? good Resurrection Sunday. How good is it to be in the house of the Lord tonight? That is awesome. Hey, if if you are... We've got time. I guess we're doing one more song. If you need to go, you can go. But these guys are full of energy. We've got to get it out somehow. So one more song. If you need to go, 
We will see you next week at church. But let's do one more song. It felt like youth, definitely. How good is that? We are finished for tonight. If you are keen for more of that, next Friday night at youth, uh, we'll do another phrase party, I'm sure. But thank you so much for coming out to church. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.